You're listening to audio from Mercy Hill Church of Port Austin. To learn more about us, you can visit mercyhillpa.org. I want you to imagine for a moment that later today you got a phone call and you didn't recognize the number, but you looked at your phone and it said Washington, D.C. And so you were a little curious and you decided I'll pick up and see who this is. And turns out it's a high ranking official at the White House. And they say that due to some unforeseen circumstances, they unfortunately need a new president. And um, they've selected you to fill that role as president of the United States. And and they say, you don't have any choice in the matter, and you better pack your stuff because a helicopter is coming later today to grab you. So obviously this is hypothetical, but just stay with me for a minute. I want you to imagine after hanging up, just like the feelings you would have, okay? A simple-minded person might say, man, I get to be in charge, this is awesome. Um, but a wise person, even the most capable among us would say, this is a weighty task and I need help. And I tell you that story because it's a, it's a little bit of a modern day illustration of what King Solomon faced as he was about to take the throne from his father, David, um, who was like one of the most successful and epic kings in Israel's history. And now Solomon has to try to fill those giant shoes. And as you can imagine, he was pretty overwhelmed by the task. And many of you know the story, but as he first started out in his leadership as king, um, he was worshiping the Lord. And one day the Lord appeared to him in a dream by night and said, ask what I shall give you. Now, if you go back to our illustration and you're sitting there waiting for the helicopter to show up and God says, hey, ask what I should give you. Like, wow, that's kind of cool. So what would you ask in that moment, right? You've got the, the almighty, sovereign, all powerful God of the universe saying, ask and I'll give it to you. And Solomon honestly shows himself to have a little bit of wisdom just in his request. And in 1 Kings 3, we get to read it. He says, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in a place of David, my father, which that's weighty. And although I am but a little child. Now, he wasn't a little child here, but he was humble enough to recognize that to lead, he's like a little child. And he says, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? And if you know the story, you know this is an amazing request, and it pleased the Lord, and the Lord granted his request and more. And in 1 Kings 3, 12, we read, Behold, God says, I am now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. And if you have time later today, pick up in 1 Kings 3 and start reading about Solomon's reign and you'll be amazed at the wisdom that God gave him. And during his reign as king, he was inspired by God to write several pieces of what we call wisdom literature that God has preserved for us. And today we have the privilege of probably entering into one of his most famous pieces, um, which is this series through Proverbs. It's a book full of the wisdom of Solomon, which is actually, as we just learned, the wisdom of God. For thousands of years, the book of Proverbs has been a timeless treasure of wisdom for countless people. And as I mentioned, it's mostly made up of Solomon's words, but it also contains um, these seven different sections, and, and the different sections contain wisdom from other wise sages in Israel's history. And so even though Solomon is credited for most of the actual Proverbs, he's not the one to compile the book in its present form that we have today. It was done that 
later. Um, and in chapters 1 through 9, there actually is this cohesive structure where Solomon is trying to convince his readers of the value of wisdom. As you read through it, and Shannon was making fun of me because I printed out 1 through 9 and I put it on poster board. And I just was like looking at it on the wall like a nerd this week, just trying to see it all. And if you read through it, you'll see over and over and over, get wisdom, get wisdom, get wisdom. He's trying to convince these young people that this was given to, to get wisdom. And, and by the way, we do have some young people with us today, and this would be a great opportunity for you to pay attention because Proverbs was originally meant to be given to young people so that they could learn wisdom in life. And so, so in 1 through 9, he's really trying to, trying to get them to choose wisdom. He's saying choose it. And he paints this vivid picture with characters like woman wisdom and dame folly. He mentions the wise, the simple, the fool, the scoffer, and more. And Ryan O'Dowd argues that Proverbs 1 through 9 gives a worldview. He says it's a storied picture about the world, human nature, our greatest risks, and our most profitable opportunities. Then in chapter 10, it kind of shifts, and that's where you start to get all those famous one-liners that don't seem to have much of a structure. Um, He talks about things like marriage, parenting, finances, business, work ethic, politics, relationships, emotions, and more. It's incredible to think about. And the overall purpose of the book is simple, to give wisdom to God's people. And I actually like the randomness of it. One commentary pointed out this week that the randomness of it in that later, latter half actually reflects the randomness of life. Life is never this smooth path where you just take one step. It's kind of all over the place. And so Solomon hits him all over the place with all of this wisdom. And since there are 31 chapters in the book, and most months have 31 days, many Christians have found it helpful over the years to take one chapter a day, and just prayerfully read through it and ask God to give them wisdom. And as we start the series, I think that'd be an awesome thing for you to start doing as well. There are 915 wise sayings in the book. So if I went verse by verse, and I preached 52 sermons per year, it would take me about 18 years to preach. So I really hope you like this book, because we have a long road ahead of us. Uh, I'm joking, of course. So due to the nature of this kind of literature, what we're going to do, and what many wise expositors have done over the years... As instead, they've recommended a survey of the book um, that we're going to do as well. And so in, in this month or this week and a few um, sermons after this, I'm going to give you some really important introductory notes on the book. And then we're going to take each topic or different topics and kind of sample the wisdom that it gives us. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. And so today we're going to dip our toes in and we're going to answer the question, what exactly is wisdom? I thought that'd be a good place to start. That's where the book starts. And so I thought that'd be a good place to start. And we're going to answer that in two ways. First, we'll look at wisdom described, and then we'll look at wisdom displayed. And so let's look, first of all, at wisdom described. You can turn to Proverbs 1. We're going to be there in a minute. Um, and what we get in Proverbs 1 through 7 is this excellent introduction and overview of the book. And we see wisdom's description. He gives all of these long synonyms to describe it for us. Um, we also see wisdom's invitation It says, let the wise learn, and we're going to look at more at that next week. And then we also see wisdom's condition that we need to fear the Lord if we're going to be wise. And so, in summary, Solomon is is trying to explain what wisdom is in these first seven verses. He's trying to convince us to pursue it, and then he's going to lay out a condition, which we're going to look at in a few weeks. And so today, we're just going to look at the description. And in Proverbs 1.1, it says this, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So first we're told that these are Proverbs. And I wanted to pause there because I want to explain what exactly is a proverb. And it's important to note that Proverbs are not commands and they're certainly not promises. 
Okay, There have been many well-meaning Christians over the years that have taken these as promises. Even Bible teachers and pastors have preached these as promises. And, and they've given them out as promises. And, and so, so a well-meaning Christian will take a proverb and, and they'll try to do their best to do what it says. And then they don't get the, the response that they were hoping to get from it. And they're like, what is going on here? I thought that the book said that this would happen. And, and what we need to understand about proverbs is they're a type of, of wisdom literature that are not promises, but they actually tell us what generally happens most of the time. Okay? And so it's helpful to combine proverbs with other proverbs and wisdom literature as a whole if we want to get the full picture. Okay? For example, generally speaking, hard work pays off, right? That's most of the time true, but it's not always true. Okay? A full-orbed biblical worldview will remind us that we live in a fallen world. Sometimes you're going to work really, really hard, and it's not always going to pay off. That's actually part of the curse. You're going to have thorns and thistles and sweat, and you're not going to produce what you wanted to produce. And so, so we need to have the full understanding here and understand that when we go through these Proverbs, we're looking what generally happens. A good illustration of this is, that, is in Ecclesiastes. So generally speaking, the swift ones win the race, and the strong ones win the battle. But listen to Ecclesiastes 9.11. The race is not always to the swift, nor the battle to the strong nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all, for man does not know his time. And so what you need to understand as we go into this book is that we're not given a bunch of promises that are always going to work out this way. Because guess what? We live in a broken world. And what generally happens sometimes doesn't happen. And what God has made crooked, man can't make straight with, with his, his wisdom, okay? And so we need to understand that as we go in. And so what are Proverbs, if they're not promises or commands? Well, in summary, you can jot this down if you'd like. Proverbs are short, poetic, thought-provoking statements that pass along wisdom. Archer Taylor once explained a proverb as the wisdom of many and the wit of one. thought that was pretty clever. And then Derek Kidner explains that Proverbs are meant to provoke thought and get under your skin. I like that. He says they, they are thrusts of wit, paradox, common sense, and teasing symbolism. And so Proverbs aren't meant to be kind of sp- like speed read, okay? They're meant to, you're meant to slow down. You're meant to think about this. You're meant to meditate on it and think deeply about what is being taught. Tim Keller illustrated it this way. He said the Proverbs are like hard candy. He's like, you can bite down on it if you want, but you might break your tooth. Instead, he says you must meditate on it until the sweetness of insight comes. That's a helpful way to think about Proverbs. So we're not just going to kind of rush through this and download this wisdom into our brain. We've got to think about this stuff. And so, so I'm going to give you truth in the sermons, but you've got to go home and you've got to meditate on it and think about it and apply it to your life to really get the value of Proverbs. So let's jump into verse 2 now. Verse 2 says, To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. So, so here's kind of the purpose of the book. He wants you to know wisdom. He wants God's people to have wisdom, to know it. And, and it's interesting to note that the word know here has the idea of more than just intellectual knowledge. It's an experience. It's an intimate relationship with wisdom. So he doesn't want you to just kind of put this stuff in your brain. He wants you to, to live with this and know it and live it out and experience it in your life. This is the purpose of the book, to know it, to know wisdom. And, and he explains it as being words of insight, um, instruction and words of insight. So let's look at those briefly. Instruction has the idea of discipline or strong training under a strict coach. Okay, some of you have had tough coaches and, and maybe you didn't like it at the time, but now you look back and you're thankful 
for those tough coaches in sports. And that's, that has the idea. And in fact, in some, in some places, it's translated as like correction. Okay, so this is correction um, that you're giving. It's strictness. And, and it has the idea that wisdom will not be had without hard work and rigorous training. As Marcel Proust wrote, wisdom can be discovered only after a journey through the wilderness, which no one can make for us and which no one can spare us from. And you know that if you've experienced hardship, it was difficult. It was painful, but you were wiser for it if you responded like God would have you respond. And so, so we can't just think wisdom is easy to get. This first word tells us you're going to have to work for it. And, and if you're lazy, you're never going to be wise. And so, so that's the first idea. Next, he says words of insight, which could be translated as discernment. Tim Challies has a book on discernment. He defines it this way. The skill of understanding and applying God's word with the purpose of separating truth from error and right from wrong. And so discernment or insight is, is the ability to see the difference between good and bad, and even more so as you grow in discernment between better and best. And so discernment is a, is a part of wisdom that we need to make wise decisions because you're going to have a lot of stuff thrown at you that all the paths look good. And so which one do I take? Well, wisdom is what helps you to take the right one. Now look at verses three through four. We get more terms. He says to receive instruction and in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. So first he says wise dealing, and specifically wise dealing in what is right, just, and fair. This has the idea of having a perception and good sense about what is right and what will bring true success both in my life and to the lives of others. And it shows that there's a moral element to wisdom here. You need to get this because you can know how something works and have tremendous skill, but if you're not doing what is righteous, what is just, what is equal, what is fair, you're not wise. And it's interesting to note that this is in the center of the passage, which some commentators say that it's the main point here that he wants you to get. And so as we go through this book, you're going to read Proverbs and you're going to see that wisdom must be wisdom in righteousness or it's not true wisdom. And so you need to get that. Next is prudence, which the Beatles made that word kind of a word that we don't like with their song, Dear Prudence. You know, we just kind of look down on prudence, but it has the idea of discretion and it means the ability to plan and live in a strategic way. So when we think of prudent people, we think of people that are just afraid and they don't know what to do. But, but this has the idea of, of foresight and of living strategically. Tim Keller said that discernment is a form of insight, while prudence is a form of foresight. It enables us to know what actions will lead to what results. I like that. Now look at verse 5. We get the last two terms that I want to define. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. So here we've got learning and guidance. These categories are what we most often think of when we think of wisdom. Okay, so like this first part of the sermon, it's a lot of this. It's a lot of knowledge. It's a lot of learning. Some of you are kind of falling asleep, so you need to wake up again. Okay, so learning is important, and it's absolutely essential for wisdom because you can't have wisdom without knowledge or truth. However, I must add that there are a lot of knowledgeable people out there with no wisdom. In other words, you know a lot of smart people who are dumb, right? We all do. And so we, we need to understand wisdom if you're going to be wise, you've got to have knowledge. You'll never be wise without knowledge, but you can have all kinds of knowledge and never be wise. And so it's important that we understand it's not just intellectual. It's a life that we live. So when we put all of these together, we come away with this definition, and it'll be up there for you. Wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. You can write that down. That's what we're going to use as we go throughout the book. It's skill 
and the art of godly living. Others have called it competency in the realities of life. Wisdom is the skill of knowing what to do when the rule books don't apply. And isn't that like 80 to 90% of our entire lives, <laughs> right? Uh, give me a verse, like give me a sign, write it in the clouds. He's not going to do that. He's going to give you wisdom, which is going to take hard work and discipline and learning and time. And then in that situation where you have these paths in front of you, he says, use your brain. I hope you've been growing in wisdom. <laughs> That's how the Lord works. And it's awesome because he's not, if he just gave us a giant rule book with, all, with every single scenario given, we would just be exhausting ourselves every time we had to make a decision. And he does give us the Bible. We should search the Bible. But what he wants us to get is the Bible inside of us so that we live with skill in this life and we know what to do when sometimes the Bible doesn't have a specific verse on a topic. And so wisdom is so essential. And after working through a list like this, I can't imagine anyone who wouldn't want this, right? And yet so many people don't want it. So many people don't pursue it. Wisdom is crying out and they're not listening. And so this is wisdom described. It's a path. It's not a program that you download in your brain. It's a long path of learning over time and growing and, and, and obtaining wisdom and, and learning how this stuff works. And so this is wisdom described. But now let's look at wisdom displayed. The book of Proverbs displays wisdom for us in a variety of ways. However, one of the most compelling, I think, is the wisdom of God in creating all things. We're going to see that in 1 through 9 a lot. In 319, he says, The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. Then in chapter 8, this wisdom is, is celebrated in this poem that is, is written in the first person with wisdom itself speaking. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Proverbs 8, 22. And what we're going to get is wisdom now speaking to the reader. And so wisdom is speaking out here. And there, it's really a celebration of creation. And it's really cool if you'd like to follow along. Proverbs 8, 22 says this. The Lord possessed me, wisdom, at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up. At the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water... Before the mountains had been shaped before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I, wisdom, was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, delighting in the children of man. This poem, as you can see, celebrates the wisdom of God that was with God in the beginning when he brought the cosmos into being. Kidner comments, wisdom is what Yahweh as creator counted primary and indispensable. Wisdom is both older than the universe and fundamental to it, not a speck of matter, not a trace of order came into existence, but by wisdom. This was wisdom that existed in eternity past, before the mountains and the waters and the hills were made. This wisdom is strategic and orderly. When you look at the creation account, you see in days one through three, he's forming. And then in days four through six, he's filling. He's, he has an order to it. It's very wise and strategic and beautiful. And when we look around at the beauty of creation, we, we see this fine-tuning of the universe. The complexity of the cosmos, the orderliness of the seasons, the, ma the majestic nature of mankind. We see there are few things 
in this life that display wisdom than creation and God's wisdom in creation. And there's an important principle here that the author of Proverbs wanted his readers to get. And it's that God made this world a certain way. And he made it to work a certain way. And he put order in it. And he put rules in it. And he put things in it. And if you rebel against that order, you're rebelling against the very design of how things were made to work. And so guess what? You're not going to be wise. And you're not going to have joy if you go outside of how God designed things to work. And what do we see in our culture today? Everybody wants to take God's design and they want to throw it in the trash and they want to do things their way because they think that's going to bring them joy and happiness when it's going exactly against the grain of how things were made. And so that's what he wants his readers to get. But there's also more going on in this poem here. You may have noticed that as we read, wisdom is personified here. It seems to be described as a person. It was there in the beginning with God, working alongside him as he created a master artisan, this agent of creation. This is a unique way of describing wisdom. An eternal being, agent of creation, working alongside God. What is going on here? Well, this is clarified by the New Testament writers and their allusions to this passage. The Apostle John chose the Greek word logos to describe this wisdom. It's a term that can be translated as reason, speech, or communication. It's typically translated as word in our English translations, but it wouldn't be too much of a stretch. Some commentators have pointed out that you could translate it as wisdom. And so listen to this familiar passage with logos, that Greek word translated as wisdom here, and see if it reminds you here of this poem in Proverbs 8. In the beginning was the wisdom, and the wisdom was with God, and the wisdom was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, And without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, the wisdom of God that accompanied God at creation is revealed in the New Testament as the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. O'Dowd puts it this way. The point to take away here is that Jesus is the wisdom of God that preceded creation and the wisdom through whom God brought creation into being. How awesome is this? Okay, in 1 Corinthians 1.24, write that down. 1 Corinthians 1.24, Paul calls Christ this. He says Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. He gets explicit there. Kidner summarizes it this way. The New Testament shows by its allusions to this passage in Proverbs 8 that the personifying of wisdom was a preparation for its full statement since the agent of creation was no mere activity of God but the Son, his eternal word, wisdom, and power. In other words, wisdom has eternally existed not in principles or precepts but in a person. Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God. But there's more. Because if you keep reading in John 1, we get to verse 14. You could probably quote it. It says this, And the wisdom became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, when Jesus came, wisdom wrapped himself in flesh and dwelt among us. And the wisdom of Proverbs was revealed in the wonder of a person. Jesus is wisdom's ultimate expression. You want to see wisdom displayed? Look at creation. It's epic. It's awesome. It's amazing. But look past creation to the creator. And then look past that to the incarnation where the creator stepped inside his creation. Where wisdom wrapped himself in flesh and walked among us. In summary, look to Christ, the wisdom of God. See wisdom on display in his perfect life. A life that perfectly displays insight and knowledge and discernment and prudence and discretion. Then be stunned 
by the overwhelming reality that the wisdom who is one with God, the agent of creation, for whom and through whom all things exist, went to the cross and took our sins upon himself and died the death that we should have died. The wisdom of God hanging on a wooden cross, absorbing the wrath of God that we deserved. And just as you start to catch your breath and maybe dry your tears, you see the wisdom of God burst forth from the grave, declaring victory over sin, death, and hell for us, making the wisdom of this world foolishness compared to the wisdom of God. And the cross and in the resurrection, God used the most horrific evil in history to bring about the most good in history. He wisely made a way to be just and the justifier of the ungodly. You understand where wisdom finds its fullest expression is at the cross of Jesus Christ. And if we will repent of our sins and trust in Jesus, he becomes our righteousness and our wisdom. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So have you turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus? If not, you will perish in your sins and you will never be wise. Trust Jesus today and be saved from your sin, from your condemnation, from your foolishness. Embrace the wisdom of God today and be saved and learn what it means to truly live. In summary, wisdom is not ultimately found in precepts or principles. It's found in a person. It can be described as skill in the art of godly living, but it is displayed in the Christ who lived and died in our place. So as we close today, this is what I want to leave you with. To truly know wisdom, you must know Christ. To truly know wisdom, you must know Christ, the wisdom of God. Jesus is the wisdom of God on display for us. And this is more than just a takeaway for the message. This is, this is how you live life. You can't be wise without Jesus. He's the wisdom of God. And, and so this is how you live life. But this is also a key interpretive framework for this whole book. And so some of you are like, Proverbs, we're just going to get a bunch of like tips and tricks for life. No, you're going to get Jesus on display for us. And when we study the wisdom of Proverbs, we're ultimately studying the wonder of Christ. Jesus himself said, a greater than Solomon is here. And now we get to study. We get to study this greater than Solomon, this wise, awesome, majestic, beautiful being named Jesus Christ. The book of Proverbs is a gold mine of wisdom where Christ himself, the wisdom of God, walks alongside of us and teaches us how to truly live, giving us skill in the art of godly living. To truly know wisdom, you must know Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for caring enough about us to plead with us to pursue wisdom. And what we find here is that as we pursue wisdom, we're ultimately pursuing Jesus Christ. And God, thank you that, thank you that we don't have to whip up this wisdom. We don't have to earn this wisdom. This is a, a gift. And that when we repent and believe in Christ, he becomes our wisdom. Lord, I just pray that as we ponder this this afternoon and we meditate on the fact that Jesus is the wisdom of God, that we would just be blown away. And we would, we would be, by your spirit, compelled to know him more and understand that that's where wisdom is found. God, we love you. We thank you for this book and we thank you that the entire Bible points to Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.